all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Hello, Mississippi. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo here live at Public Broadcasting to take your questions on anything health. Yep, it's another open mic on Southern Remedy. We're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And if you don't call, I'm going to talk about all my recommendations for uh, surviving the holidays. I may throw a little bit of that in anyway. But we need your call. One eight seven seven MPB ring. Our lines are open, and our emails open at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the news for the Doctor Call In Show on Wednesday. Southern Remedy, the original. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's been re-elected. The lawmaker from California survived a challenge by Ohio Democrat Tim Ryan. The vote was 134 to 63. Pelosi publicly maintained throughout the leadership race that she had the support of two-thirds of her colleagues. This despite growing frustration over the most recent losses in legislative and other races for Democrats. Pelosi has been the House's Democratic leader since 2003. She helped lead the party back into the majority in 2006 and became the first female Speaker of the House. A North Carolina police officer accused of using excessive force when he shot and killed a black man in September will not face charges. A short time ago in Charlotte, District Attorney Andrew Murray announced that Brent Vinson, who's also black, was justified in shooting Keith Lamont Scott, who investigators say had a loaded gun on him. After a thorough review, and given the totality of the circumstances and credible evidence in this case, it is my opinion that Officer Vinson acted lawfully when he shot Mr. Scott. He acted lawfully. A day after Scott's death, protesters took to the streets. Some businesses were looted. Hoping to make use of force investigations consistent statewide in Pennsylvania, the District Attorneys Association is now out with best practices for dealing with cases of police who fire their weapons. Bobby Allen of member station WHYY has more. The group says police shootings should be looked into by an outside agency. If a suspect was fatally struck, the body should be immediately covered. And no matter the extent of the injury, the person who was shot should receive first aid. Chester County District Attorney Tom Hogan chaired the group. Because if you think about the message that that sends, the message is that we didn't want to have to shoot this person. The police did not want to have to shoot this person. And we will do everything we can to save this person. The prosecutors also recommended not releasing the name of an officer who fires unless that officer is charged with a crime. But police reform advocates say such secrecy could inflame community tensions. For NPR News, I'm Bobby Allen in Philadelphia. The U.N. Security Council is imposing new sanctions on North Korea, this time targeting coal exports. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports. As U.N. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon points out, the Security Council first adopted a resolution to punish North Korea for its nuclear program in 1993. 23 years 
and six sanctions resolutions later, the challenge persists. He's calling on member states to fully implement the latest sanctions that was echoed by the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Samantha Power, who says the resolution will cap the amount of coal North Korea can export and ban the export of copper, silver, nickel and zinc. She says that should cut by $800 million per year the hard currency North Korea uses to fund its nuclear weapons program. This is NPR News. Members of the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC, have decided to cut oil production by more than a million barrels a day in a bid to increase crude oil prices. The pact is contingent on key non-OPEC countries agreeing to also cut oil production by 600,000 barrels a day. The president of the OPEC conference, Mohammed bin Saleh al-Sada, says the Russian Federation has already agreed to cut production by 300,000 barrels a day. The Carrier Corporation says it has decided not to send its Indianapolis manufacturing facilities to Mexico. NPR's Jim Zaroli reports that decision came after talks with President-elect Donald Trump, who had vowed to save the plant during his campaign. Carrier said it had reached a deal with Trump and Vice President Mike Pence that will save nearly 1,000 of the 1,400 jobs that had been on the line. It didn't provide any details about the agreement or say why it had decided to reverse course. But CNBC reported that the state of Indiana had made some inducements to keep the company in the state. Trump and Pence will reportedly travel to Indiana on Thursday to announce the deal. The president-elect had turned the carrier operations into a symbol of lost U.S. manufacturing jobs and promised to keep the company from leaving. Jim Zaroli, NPR News, New York. U.S. stocks are mixed this hour. Dow's up 69 points at 19,191. S&P's up slightly at 2,206. NASDAQ Composite Index off 36 points at 5,343. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Novo Nordisk, which is committed to a healthy economy, environment, and society as part of everything it does. Learn more about their commitment at NovoNordisk.us and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation at rwjf.org. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Hey, welcome to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And this is your daily doctor call-in show on the Southern Remedy series. This is the original one. Most of the time we're taking uh, questions on whatever you want to talk about, although occasionally we will have a topical show. But this is not a topical show, so whatever you want to talk about, whatever information I can provide, you have a doctor uh, all holed up in a room who can't get away, and he'll be happy to talk to you. So we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. That's one eight seven seven MPB ring. Or you can send us an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. Now I've got a cold, 
And the reason I have a cold is I uh, was involved in caring for a number of grandkids over the Thanksgiving holiday, and many of them were in daycare. So in the process of hugging and kissing and holding and watching TV with, I got exposed to a lot of saliva and other things. Fortunately, I didn't get gastroenteritis. That may be coming later. Uh, and have this terrible cold. So let me give you a few hints, since many folks are getting colds right now, about how to deal with that. <clears throat> By the way, we're waiting for your calls at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, one eight seven seven mpb ring The first thing is, <clears throat> is it a cold or is it the flu? The difference between colds and flus is that colds tend to be localized to respiratory symptoms. That is, runny nose, sneezing, uh, sometimes a little sore throat, uh, not really rigor, shaking chills like you have with the flu, very little muscle pain and aching. And uh, usually you can find that somebody around you has had or is having the same symptoms Most of these colds run a 7- to 10-day course, although some of them that we have been seeing around here lately can run longer. A lot of mucus hypersecretion, nasal obstruction, post-nasal drip. That is what a cold is versus what the flu is, which is a much more serious problem. You're listening to Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo taking all your calls on all topics were at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and uh, we are uh, open for your questions on any topic. Um, so anyway, um, if you get cold symptoms, the best way to deal with them is to treat each symptom separately. And as the cold evolves over a week or so, symptoms will be different. For instance, if you have nasal obstruction, that is usually because of mucus plugging. And there are a number of uh, over-the-counter products. Mucinex is the one that I like the best. And there is a generic form. Uh, And Mucinex comes with just the mucin loosening agent and the cough medicine added in. So that's Mucinex DM. The DM is for dextromethorphanan, <clears throat> which is a non-narcotic cough suppressant. So uh, if you're coughing so bad you can't get any sleep, you do need to uh, suppress your cough a little bit, and that's what you get with dextromethorphanan. So uh, first of all, a mucolytic can be helpful, and you take that uh, twice a day or once a day, depending on which one of those you get. It's cheaper to get the twice-a-day Mucinex or Mucinex DM. And drink a lot of fluids. <clears throat> and if you do have some muscle aches, Tylenol is always the best choice. Uh, we don't like the mixtures of Tylenol with other things like antihistamines and some of these combo cough syrups, uh, flu-cold preparations, over the counter. You don't want to mix a lot of stuff up. So number one is the mucus and the best overall way to make the the, uh, mucus thickening problem better is to lavage your nose with warm salt water. 
and there is a device that's over the counter. I have no stock in this company, but it works like a charm, and this is a squeeze bottle uh, that you can use, and it comes with salt pre-mixed for you to this bottle um, to squeeze into uh, warm salt water into your nose to wash out all this mucus uh, that accumulates. And there's very, very good evidence that keeping your nose washed out actually can prevent sinusitis. Or if you do get an infection of your sinuses, which drain into the back of your nose, uh, can treat that without antibiotics. We try to avoid um, using antibiotics uh, on colds because they don't work. And then the third thing is if your nose becomes runny and you just cannot stop it from running and you have to work, there is a third medication, this one uh, requiring a prescription, that is specifically for runny nose with colds called Atrovent, also known as Ipratropium. And there is a stronger concentration of that than is used for um, nonspecific nasal symptoms that can be prescribed by your doctor. And then the most important thing of all is extra rest uh, during that period because your immune system is stressed, and taking a little bit of stress off is a good thing uh, with a cold. If you want to know more about cold treatment or flu treatment or any kind of treatment, give me a call. It's Open mic on Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics, and we're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to our first caller, Timmy in Starkville. Hi, Timmy. Yes, hello. Hello. Yes, I've got a question. Uh, uh, my top lips uh, sometimes will quiver, and it, and it may last just a few seconds, then go away. Yeah. And, uh, it's more so on the right side. Right. I was just wondering maybe uh, what you thought about that. Okay. is is uh, Does it usually occur under stress or is it just spontaneous? Just spontaneous. Uh-huh. And it's unassociated with any particular food, like hot foods, uh, like peppers, hot peppers, or things like that. It just right, sort of right. I can, I can wake up sometimes, like uh, this morning, for instance, I woke up and uh, it would do it, you know, um, right before I get out of bed maybe or. Uh, but then it kind of goes away, you know. It's uh, it's nothing that just happens continuously. Right, you know? and you don't have a tremor on your fingers when you hold your hand out. You don't have a tremor. You don't no. have your fingers floating up and I down. Don't. Okay, uh, I don't. So that is a is a not uncommon problem, and the main thing that we want to make sure is that it's not associated with anything else. And since you've had it for a long time and don't have other uh, neurologic symptoms, it is a uh, uh, a hyperactive branch of the nerve, the trigeminal nerve, that supplies the feeling uh, in your lip and transmits, uh, for some reason, there's a short circuit in there. There are a couple of things that you can do about it. One, if it's bothering you really badly or affecting, we have some attorneys and uh, professors and other people uh, who uh, have this so bad that it affects their ability to teach or speak, uh, you can have a Botox injection in there, and that knocks it out for about three months. And then you have to have it again. Sometimes that will permanently knock it out. Uh, there is a um, there is a uh, neurotransmitter that is released uh, when this happens, 
and uh, sometimes uh, that can be released uh, automatically by certain foods that have hot pepper in it, cayenne pepper, uh, because there's a chemical called capsaicin in there. It's the same thing that's in the roll-on uh, zosterix that you use for pain release with uh, herpes zoster uh, shingles. And uh, sometimes uh, people will notice that there are food triggers. At the same time, sometimes using that those topical preparations right over the area where that nerve is being triggered for whatever reason will help. So one of the things that you might also so want to try first is using a little Zostrix or capsaicin uh, like we use for shingles on that particular spot. Now remember that this stuff burns like crazy, so you need to start with the most dilute concentration uh, uh, on in uh, a small tube of this stuff you can get at the drugstore and use the first dose on your uh, arm, not on your face, and just rub a little bit and see how much burning you get. After you use it three or four times, the burning stops. But you could try putting that over uh, that area. But if it otherwise does not straighten up, uh, either a dermatologist or neurologist or some family medicine mm-hmm. folks can give you a uh, shot of Botox in there that will stop that. And okay. It, okay, is that helpful? I really appreciate that. Yes, sir. Good to talk to you. I know it's a, just a problem. All right, we have uh, open lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven mpb ring and we're taking all questions and we're taking emails. And by the way, I've already gotten two emails, uh, so let me address those while you call us up. We have four open lines, and that never happens. So if you have a question, now's a time, good time to get that in before the end of the program when everybody calls in. We had some conversation about reflux last week, and we got bombed with questions about Barrett's esophagus and reflux and how best to suppress it and so forth and so on. It's because, and the reason for that is that so many of us are overweight. When we're overweight, the pressure, increased intra-abdominal pressure that we get from uh, having your stomach poking out pushes your esophagus up through your diaphragm and affects that valve that cuts off acid flow backwards from the stomach, uh, which sits in your abdomen, up into your esophagus, which sits in your chest. And the symptoms of reflux are actually... Uh, for the most part, come from your esophagus where you get tissue burned with acid uh, that shouldn't be there. So here's a question from Mary. I was listening to the podcast about gastric reflux. I had reflux until I stopped eating unsweetened cereal for breakfast. Since I eat salad and soft-boiled eggs, I don't have it anymore. Also, I lost 10 pounds. I hope this will help someone else. Well, You just proved my point. Thank you very much, Mary. Uh, uh, A little bit of weight loss can make a big difference with this problem and also with knee pain, which is very, very common uh, in people who are overweight. Uh, As you you lose weight, that pressure, intra-abdominal pressure drops. So that's probably what did it. It's unusual uh, to have foods trigger reflux. Also, although in some cases... 
if there's gastric hypersecretion from a food, that increases the volume of acid being pushed up backwards. And so you can think it's actually a food trigger and in effect it is. But that's uh, that's an unusual thing. The recumbent position, uh, coffee, chocolate, peppermint, those open up that valve between your stomach uh, and your esophagus and cause reflux. So, Mary, thank you for that question. Um, and uh, we're at one eight seven seven MPB ring. If you want to call, here's one more question, and we're going to go to Poplarville in your house. And our um, our emails are continuing to be open at southernremedympbonline.org. This I have a fourth toe that is very painful when I stand or walk long, even with comfort style shoes. I spent three hundred and fifty dollars for a shoe insert prescribed by a podiatrist. That insert had a very slight bump in it and provides no help at, at all. An orthopedist recommended a gel separator between my third and fourth toes, and that seems to help a bit. Nevertheless, I continue to have throbbing pain in my left fourth toe. The only thing that really seems to help is wearing clogs with wide toe boxes and no backs so that I can slip my foot out of the shoe. Might a podiatrist or an orthopedist have any other recommendations? Well, I'm neither a podiatrist or a an orthopedist, but I do see a lot, but I'm a rheumatologist, so I do see a lot of foot pain. And in this particular uh, uh, email is a question about a Morton's neuroma. There are arteries uh, and veins and uh, nerves that go to your toes, go all the way out under your foot and all the way to your toes. And in some cases, a um, a bump can develop on one of the nerves in your foot that especially cause problems in the third, fourth, and fifth toe. That's where they're most commonly. And that's called a Morton's neuroma. It probably comes from an injury to that nerve. And that can cause constant pain. And uh, the way to determine whether or not you have a Morton's neuroma is not to have surgery, which is usually the first thing that's offered, <clears throat> but to have an injection of a local anesthetic into the place that hurts. And if it stops for a while, that is pretty much diagnostic of the problem. You can also get an MRI of the foot and some other things. So I think the problem is that uh, you probably haven't gone back to your podiatrist or orthopedist uh, multiple times driving him or her crazy until they figure this problem out. Sometimes it can be very difficult, and sometimes you have a combination of things wrong with your foot. Uh, as you get older, your foot splays, and you tend to walk on your metatarsals uh, rather than uh, and the spring is lost in the foot, and that gives you metatarsalgias. The metacarpals, if you look at your hands, are those joints um, closest to your finger joints, and, and your hand is a lot like your, your uh, foot. So if you make a spring in your hand, you notice that if you flatten it out, you start walk, uh, pressing on your metacarpals. Same thing happens with your feet. And that can give you severe pain in your feet as well. So you may have meta, 
metatarsalgia, you may have a Morton's neuroma, and you may have osteoarthritis uh, in that foot at the same time. So it can be very confusing, and it takes several visits to sort out what is the major problem. So I think the cheapest way to deal with this problem would be to go back to one of those folks and probably the orthopedist now that the podiatrist suggestions uh, haven't worked would be the next best place and see if you can get some help on that. If you want more information, send us an email. I'm Dr. Rick at Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org, and we will get you some more information. A lot of folks are dealing, well, by the way, we're going to Popperville and Richland and Bogalusa and your house. If you give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring A lot of people are dealing uh, with debris right now in Mississippi from the storms that have come through, and they're not through. We've got some more coming. And we see a lot of injuries at the medical center from folks trying to clear debris. So uh, here's a couple of things to think about. Number one, you need to use the heaviest leather glove that you can find at a big box store to protect your hands. And actually, I recommend that you use a gardener's, a rose gardener's gloves. I know they have these at Lowe's, and they probably have them in other places, but they go all the way up to your elbow. They're leather gloves that go all the way to your elbow. And that will keep you from banging your upper arm and, and ending up with a lot of bleeding uh, in your upper arm as well as, as well as hand problems. So number two is don't pick anything up with your hands without looking at it first because there may be a nail or shard or something else in there. And don't forget that it hasn't been cold enough for rattlesnakes uh, to go into their holes yet. And if you're dealing uh, with something uh, around your house in an area that hasn't been cleared, those guys took shelter just like everybody else, and they're hanging out. So you have to be very careful about uh, snakes, and that's another reason to wear boots uh, when you're working outside. Uh, If you have not had a tetanus shot, now's a good time to go somewhere quickly and get one uh, because getting a nail... Um, a problem uh, is something you don't want. Also, some of these uh, puncture wounds can get infected. It's very important that if you puncture uh, yourself with anything, that you immediately wash your hands uh, with soap. Doesn't make any difference what kind of soap it is, uh, and let let a little bit of blood run out of there. And that will be precipitated if you use warm water and then turn the water on cold. And that causes the blood vessels to constrict, help stop the bleeding. And you can pat it down and put a bandage on it. We do know that using topical antibiotic ointments improve the the rate at which these these, uh, injuries uh, uh, heal themselves. So you may want to try that as well. If you want to know more about that, give me a call. I'm Dr. Rick at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Poplarville and John. Hey, John. Hi. I'm sorry for my crumply voice this morning. I caught a cold from one of my grandkids, and uh, I'm paying the price. I totally understand. Yep. Uh, I just wanted to uh, get your take on this. Uh, you know, you see commercials on TV all the time now about if you've taken this drug or that drug and, and you've had this side effect or whatever it, you know, that, that, uh, that 
you know, call this law firm or whatever, and they will see about if you get an award or whatever. But and even when they're advertising drugs on TV, uh, to use and seems like it takes longer to give the side effects of that drug than the good things about the drug. I just wanted to get your take on that. It seems to me like maybe the Federal Food and Drug Administration is not really doing their job just right or or whatever. But it just seems like it more problems taking drugs than good out of it. Okay, that is a very reasonable question to ask. <clears throat> the uh, drugs that you take uh, that are... Hello? Per- you still there? Johnny, you still there? I think uh, John's still there. The drugs that uh, you take uh, have been through a process, multiple-stage process, where they are uh, tried in animals and tried in humans, and by the time that they are released... There's some idea of what the side effects are going to be. However, the number of people included in those trials uh, compared to the number of people who end up taking them uh, is small. So many times we don't know what a side effect will be uh, or a reaction to a drug uh, until those have been on the market for several years. That's why I tend to use the older drugs first and avoid the new drugs unless there's nothing else available to treat the problem. Now, as a rheumatologist, we use a lot of biologic agents, these new wonder drugs uh, where they target specific areas. So sometimes we don't have a selection, but, uh, but in general, using an older drug is the best thing. Yes, attorneys, plaintiff's attorneys uh, are, are very, uh, there's more plaintiff's attorneys than we need, uh, they won't agree with that, but I'm telling you that. A lot of them being ginned out. I have relatives who are plaintiff's attorneys, so this is what I get from them. Uh, and so there are a lot of people uh, trying to uh, file suits against drug companies uh, and because they have very deep pockets. They have a lot of money. And that's why you're hearing all of these jillions of um thing side effects that these drugs can have when they're advertised in direct to consumer marketing they're trying to cover themselves uh in case you have one of these and and you claim that you are not aware of it because the grounds for those suits are that you took a drug and you are not aware of the complications now obviously if i told you the potential number of complications of aspirin uh it would take an hour and a half because aspirin, just about every kind of adverse reaction known to man occurs to aspirin. And uh, in general, the side effects to most of our modern drugs are less than aspirin. And uh, so uh, there's a little bit of hole in there for uh, a sly plaintiff's attorney to at least file a complaint on just about every reaction that occurs uh, to a drug, and a lot of them are doing that. So that's why you're hearing it. It's all about the money. And uh, I do not think this is uh, a defect in the, the FDA. We always blame everything on the government. Well, us us is the government, and uh, it has to do with the way the legal system works uh, in dealing with these. Now, I'm going to get a barrage of very nasty responses from attorneys. Uh, by the way, I did not park my car outside of MPB. It's somewhere you'll never find. And uh, But that's my opinion. You asked for it, and I come from a family of physicians and attorneys. 
uh, and at least that's the consensus on our side. Certainly, there are cases where drugs are bad, and uh, there was deception by the marketer when they came out, and those people ought to be called to task. But that's an unusual situation, and what's happening is the cost of these drugs is being run up so much by all these suits that we're we're having a lot of trouble getting important drugs on the market. So you asked for my opinion. You got it, uh, and it is opinion. So I hope that's helpful. Let's go to Harriet in Richland. Hey, Harriet. You there? Hello. Hey, yes. hey Harriet. Hello there. You're talking to Dr. Rick. Hi. I called because you talked about having a cold and having a lot of, you know, mucus and things like that. Right. I don't have a cold, but I have constant post-nasal drip. What can I do about that? Okay. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, is it triggered by anything? I don't know. I, I, I don't drink milk anymore, so I know mm-hmm. that that's something that can make it worse, so I don't do that. I'm drinking almond milk now. Uh-huh. Well, post-nasal drip is very, very common. We normally uh, make uh, a couple of pints of mucus a day and swallow it. Our nose is very important in protecting our lower airway from particulate matter. Just think of all the stuff you breathe in. Uh, It gets caught in the mucus and all the particulate stuff, bacteria, smoke, fumes, all that stuff, gets filtered there and normally you swallow it and so having post nasal drip in itself is not abnormal but if you have a lot of extra mucus production uh, for whatever reason you've had allergies as a kid and the, the wiring in your nose has gotten screwed up as you as you get older it's a common thing or if you've had a lot of irritant exposure there are medicines that can help with that And um, what I would do is the first thing I would do is try a topical nasal steroid. And Nasacort uh, is one of many over-the-counter now. That one sticks in your nose and, to me, is the most effective. And you can get coupons on it all the time, and it's dirt cheap uh, because you've just gone the net and put in Nasacort coupon. You can usually get a coupon that cuts the cost to, to nothing. And uh, use one spray in each side of your nose twice a day. Uh, If that doesn't work, go to two sprays in each side of your nose twice a day. If that doesn't work after a week, quit because it's not going to work. So that's one thing. Another thing that is very, very helpful are some of the prescription antihistamine nasal sprays. Astelin, A-S-T-E-L-I-N, and Astapro uh, are prescription medicines, but those can be helpful. And the third thing is... Um, this other stuff I told you about, which is called Atrovent nasal spray. I have a lot of patients who have a gustatory rhinitis. That is, every time they eat, their nose turns on and stuff runs down the front of their shirt. Uh, it just turns on like a faucet. And uh, that is uh, that is what we usually use for that, this Atrovent or Ipratropium nasal spray. So to summarize, Harriet, my recommendations are, one, know your triggers and avoid those if possible. Two, if it's uh, only episodic, use medications episodically. The medication I would start with would be Nasacort or another topical nasal steroid. These are not do not cause steroid side effects like uh, pills. 
If that doesn't work, um, you may want to try an antihistamine like Astelin, which can be very effective, used as needed, or uh, uh, Atrovent, a different, totally different chemical uh, as well. But otherwise, there's no miracle treatment for a hypersecretory nose, and I hope that helped. We've got open lines for you if you'll call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we're going to Bogalusa and Vivian. Hey, hey, Vivian. Vivian, you there? Yes, I am. Y'all had some pretty rough weather over there, didn't you? No, um, why I'm at is is really calm. Really, I yes, thought it. It's, I thought it pulled right on through that area. Well, I'm glad you didn't need it. Okay. What's on your mind? Uh, this is the doctor I'm talking to, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Dr. Rick. Rick, do you mind me calling you Rick? I can't pronounce it. I am flattered that you're calling me Dr. Rick. Thank you. Okay, then. Listen, I am a diabetic. I'm a 68-year-old diabetic, and um, I've been going to my doctor for the last few months, and I'm complaining about my left leg right behind that left knee mm-hmm. if i'm laying on if i'm in bed and i'm laying on that side on my left side and the pressure is on that knee it hurts real bad you know it hurts me until the point i have to get off of it i'm sorry okay when i turn over and i get off that leg it's okay again mm-hmm. but now if i'm laying on my back in the, and, and i'm laying flat in the bed on my back and i go to sleep when I wake up, I can't. I can't pick it up on its own. It hurts so bad, no. and it be so stiff. I'm sorry. I have to take my my left hand and pick it up. Okay. okay. After I pick it up and I bend the knee, I work it until the knee is bent, mm-hmm. and the pain goes away. Now I told this to my doctor, and they did X-rays mm-hmm. on it, and they they can't see nothing on the X-ray, but I'm still got this pain. Mm-hmm. So I told the doctor, I said, Doctor, uh, I want to know why it's hurting like that because it's been hurting like that. For over a year. Okay. But let me let me give you some ideas. Let me give you some ideas because there's a lot of things that can do this, and I'll give you what what I recommend you do to treat it. And if it doesn't get any better, you got to have an MRI of your knee to sort it out because that's really the only way that you can figure out this problem. Uh, plain films, if they're negative, plain X-rays uh, uh, are very helpful, but if they're negative. Uh, for a diagnosis, then you have to get an MRI to figure this out. And uh, so um, th- you, you're not feeling a lump in the back of your knee. Are you a, a, a sort of like a bump behind your knee, Vivian? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. Are you feeling a lump or a bump behind your knee? No, it, you know, I can't feel anything. I Do you have a them. tender point? Uh, on your patella, the the uh, knee cap, when you feel around it. Okay, okay, the front of the knee. Mm-hmm. I don't feel I don't feel any pain. I don't feel any bumps or nothing. But behind the knee, where that tendon is, it seems like sometimes that muscle, you know, where I bend the knee at, yeah. seems like uh, it, if I if I pick up too much weight, it would it would stress it, and I can't even. You know, stretch it out. I got it. All right. So you, more likely than not, have osteoarthritis, that is degenerative arthritis of the knee. And uh, the biggest thing that we're concerned about is you falling. So until this problem gets better, you've got to be very, very careful 
not to fall because your knee can give away on you because the pain is so severe. The fact that it gets better when you move it, it, there's nothing much other than osteoarthritis, degenerative arthritis that will do this. The best treatment for this would be to take Tylenol, double-strength Tylenol, uh, at least twice a day. You can have up to about three grams without any problems if you're a diabetic. And uh, take that regularly, whether you need it or not, until that goes into remission. It tends to be recurrent. And the data on that's really pretty good. We don't give uh, non-steroidals like uh, naproxen and Aleve and all that stuff to people with diabetes uh, if we can help it because it can mess up your kidneys. So Tylenol, the other thing that you can do is you can get a topical agent to put on that uh, knee, and you can ask your doctor to give you a prescription for Volterran gel, V-O-L-T-A-R-E-N gel. And you can rub that on your knee three or four times a day. It is a non-steroidal that is uh, quite potent and is in a gel form that goes into your knee joint. Then if that those two things don't work and you need to keep moving, uh, if you need to get a cane to keep moving right now, I would get uh, something to walk with to support yourself because this usually goes away. The fact that you've had this for a year, it, it probably uh, will require an MRI to figure it out. I thought maybe you had a Baker's cyst, which is a bleb in the lining of the fluid lining in your knee, uh, that would also show up on a um, MRI. So my suggestion is, one, try Tylenol at least twice a day. You can use up to three grams if you want to use it three times a day. And try some Volterran gel, uh, which is over-the-counter. Uh, I mean, not over-the-counter and requires a doctor's prescription. If that doesn't work, you need an MRI of your knee to figure it out and probably an orthopedic consult. And I hope that's helpful to you. Vivian, you got a lot of good doctors in your area, so hopefully you can get that sorted out. You're listening to Southern Remedy at mpbonline.org, and uh, I want to wish good luck to the Poplarville High School Hornets. They're playing the 4A football championship game versus Lafayette County on Saturday. I also want to wish good luck to Lafayette County because uh, I've already got the lawyers after me today, and I want to make sure that I – you know, I at least get home uh, this tonight. So I, I, I gave you that note when the, the first caller was from Poplarville. Oh, so oh is that it? Yeah, okay. Well, good. I thought somebody was trying to set me up for an assassination. Right yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, good luck to all the teams. That yeah, are playing, absolutely. Including Lafayette County. We're going to Richard in Alabama uh, in just a minute. Here's an email. My one-year-old grandson who attends daycare has a runny nose all the time, constantly with no fevers. Should he be tested for allergies? There's an indoor dog. At his home also. Yeah. So, um, yes, snotty-nosed kids are a problem. And you always think there's something wrong with them and that you need to do something about it. Well, the good news is as they get larger, the all the drainage holes in the sinuses work better. They learn to swallow that stuff, and it usually goes away. So it's more of a cosmetic pro- problem. It's nothing worse than hugging your grandkid when you have a suit on and having mucus all over the front of it. I am a pro at that. Uh, so, so what I would suggest that you do to help with this mucus uh, is cosmetic. Number one, if your kid is like one of my grandsons, 
at two years old, you can use this Neomed lavage, saline lavage wash apparatus and train him to squeeze it in, gently squeeze it in his nose. The mucus comes out the other side. You damp it off and squeeze it on the other one two or three times a day, and that usually will really help it because that salt water is magical um, for any kind of problem like that. Um, so far as allergies, we do not usually test kids for allergies until they're three or four years old. It's unusual for kids to have nasal allergies from pollens and stuff like that uh, until they've been through it two seasons. Now, if you have an indoor dog or cat, that can be a problem, cats in particular, if there's an allergic family history. But I think probably the nasal lavage may be a little bit of uh, of Claritin or one of the other non-sedative antihistamines you can try as per uh, over-the-counter instructions would be useful. But I think that I don't think this is a big deal, and I think he's going to get better anyway. And I hope that helps. Let's go to Alabama Roll Tide, Richard. Hey, Richard. Uh, morning, Doctor Rick. What's um, happening? I have a question regarding your, your use of the term overweight. Now, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I was a competitive athlete from the time I was 10 until I was 38 years old. I began to lift weights in 1970. I was 6 feet tall, weighed 135 pounds. Uh, a year later, I was weighing 165. Uh, and then I became serious about the sport. I got up 260 pounds in 1986 uh, um, and had a body fat percentage test done, the seven-site skinfold caliber test. I was 15% body fat. Now, the difference between being overweight and over fat, a man is considered to be obese if he's over 20% body fat, and a woman is considered to be obese if she's over 30% body fat. So you can be overweight and not over fat. Okay. So the point that you're trying to make sure everybody understands is that you can be outside of the normal uh, calculations uh, for what is overweight and obese using body mass index calculations, which you can get if you Google and you put your weight and height in, if you are fit and especially if you have a lot of muscle mass. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I think that is an excellent, excellent point. However, Richard, most people in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and the surrounding states who are overweight are not fit. And uh, so so we need to do a better job uh, in explaining what is healthy, quote, overweight and what is unhealthy overweight when we talk about this. And I appreciate your calling that to my attention. Uh, So uh, uh, who's uh, are you an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan? Um, Alabama. Okay, well, that's a safe bet, isn't it, for this year? Yeah, roll tide. All right. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Robert and Jackson, and we'll go to your your house. We still got time to go to your house. If you call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven MPB ring. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics, and this is Southern Remedy, the original doctor call in show. And we're taking all your questions on all your topics, whatever is bugging you. We will try to give you some help on that if you give us a call or send us an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. Robert, what's going on? Uh, Dr. Rick, I, um, you can hear my voice. It's very gravelly. Yes, sir. And I've been thinking it was about mucus, but I take Zyrtec now, and now 
Every time I talk to a friend on the telephone, they say, what's wrong, Robert, with your voice? Uh-huh. Now, I'm 78 years old, and it may be age, but I need some advice on what I can do about it. Okay, that's a, that's a super question. I haven't had a chance to talk about that lately, and I, I'm glad you gave me that opportunity. <clears throat> Have you? Is this a new problem or an old problem? It's been with me for several years, but um, I used to be a professor, uh-huh. and uh, nobody ever complained about not being able to understand me or uh-huh. anything like that. But now on the telephone, I just have that um, gravelly voice that people have. Yeah, actually, uh, I don't have any trouble understanding you either, but you do have a gravelly voice. And it's too bad uh, that we don't have a movie company in town because you would be a hot uh, commodity for a movie production. They love to have somebody in with a gravelly voice. Uh, So don't let anybody put you down about it. Have have you ever uh, been a smoker? Oh, I smoked a pipe, but it's... I stopped that 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Okay. So so uh, let me just tell you the things that we think about in a man uh, uh, who is over 50, who develops chronic hoarseness. Uh, most of the time, uh, it is uh, uh, we never figure out what's wrong with them. Uh, the most common thing that we can fix is that someone had a viral infection, especially a lawyer or a professor, and became hoarse from laryngitis and then started straining his or her voice and affected adversely affected the way the vocal cords work. This is very, very common in professors and lawyers. And uh, when you basically bruise and fibrose your vocal cords, when you have hoarseness, you're supposed to pitch your voice up uh, a couple of octaves, and that takes a little of the pressure off until the inflammation around your vocal cord uh, improves. So uh, the other thing that we worry about, obviously, are uh, in somebody who's a speaker are vocal polyps, which can cause this problem, or you can even have paralysis of one of your vocal cords if you've been intubated uh, for a diagnostic procedure or uh, something where they put a tube in you um, uh, for medical purposes. So there's a whole series of things uh, that can do this. And my recommendation to make sure that you don't have a malignancy, which is less less common in people who don't have a big smoking history, but you can also have cancer of the larynx. And because of your age, I definitely would want someone to look at your larynx. You need to go to an otolaryngologist, also called an ENT doctor, otolaryngologist, and have him look her, him or her, look at your vocal cords to make sure you don't have any polyps or anything that looks malignant, and to make sure that they move uh, appropriately when uh, you talk. And that will rule out the paralysis, the vocal cord polyps, uh, and any any uh, structural problems. And then they will send you to a physical therapist if you wish to go to uh, get uh, a, um, a vocal therapy, speech therapist. They will send you to a speech therapist who will uh, work with you on pitching your voice. And sometimes that will solve the problem. Uh, so those are that's where I would start. I definitely think 
that's, you know, like you have to have a colonoscopy as you get older. If you start having hoarseness, you need to have somebody look at the, the top as well as the bottom. And I would have that looked at. And you've got uh, ENT people all over you in Jackson, so that's not a problem. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you, Robert, for your call. Have a great holiday. Uh, we're going to be uh, take a quick break, and we're going to come right back. We have some open lines. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring, one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've got a few more minutes to take your questions, so there are open lines. Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at childrensal.org slash heart. The election is over. The nation has a new president and a new chapter in history has begun. We don't know what lies ahead, but NPR will continue to bring you the best coverage from coast to coast to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick, taking all your calls today about whatever you want to talk about. We have some open lines. If you want to give us a call, we'll do our best to uh, answer your questions. By the way, I got several emails asking uh, for more of my Dr. Rick's suggestions for happy family holiday get-togethers. And we got so loaded with questions last week, I never got through them. Uh, And they've been posted, I think, on our website the first one was uh, for holiday get-togethers, lower expectations. You're better off anticipating that things will not go well than anticipating they will be all love and kisses. If the event ends without spilling of blood, you can declare it the best family get-together ever. That's number one. Number two is invite someone from outside the family to attend your family gathering, preferably a minister because that keeps the less inhibited family members from acting out and keeps the men from telling off-color stories. We do that frequently. Number three, limit alcohol. In fact, if possible, don't serve it at all. Four, don't discuss family business or finances with a particular family member at family gatherings because everyone will want to know the details and why they're not involved in them. I did that once. That didn't work. Number five, avoid trying to resolve previous conflicts, or even any scores. The place and time for that's wrong, and it never works anyway. Probably uh, this next one is one we don't use enough. The chef is the sheriff. The chef needs to dictate what is appropriate at what time, and feel free to be a firm peacemaker. Number seven, declare the dinner table a politics-free zone. That's going to get more and more of a for sure you got to do over the next year. Declare the dinner table as a politics-free zone. And the last and most important 
of Dr. Rick's Happy Family Holiday Get-Together suggestions is arrive late, leave early. That always works. Let's go to Tina in Uniontown and go to your house if you give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Hey Tina. Tina Oh, Tina got mad at me when I said arrive late, uh leave early. So maybe if you call back we'll let you arrive here. Uh I also I've saw also got a whole bunch of emails about uh, the peanut thing. And um, uh, in 2000, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended that solid food should not be introduced into the diet of high-risk infants until six months of age, with dairy products delayed until one year, eggs until two years, and peanuts, nuts, and fish until three years of age, in those infants at a high risk for developing allergies. That is, they had one or two family um, uh, members with allergies. Uh, Unfortunately, this didn't work. In fact, the number of allergies went up, and folks have been trying to figure this out. And now a very, very large set of large studies have shown that you actually desensitize kids to um, these food allergies that they're going to get uh, by feeding it to them early. Amazing, huh? Uh, and that's also a reason that it's probably better to be raised in a dirty house than a clean one uh, because you can also de- delay the onset of inhalant allergens, allergy <clears throat> if you don't raise your kids in a sterile environment. So they're now recommending that these foods that were previously thought to be prohibited uh, be introduced somewhere between four and six years, uh, four and six months of age. Talk to your pediatrician about this. If you're not sure and you have a terrible family history with allergy, you may want to see an allergist because this has changed. It changed at my house for sure. And, uh, and we're really seeing a difference. So um, we're not prohibiting those things anymore. Here's an email. Uh, For about two months now, I've experienced a feeling of electricity from my little finger to my shoulder in the right arm only. Simultaneously, it feels like something is pulling the muscles in the arm back toward the shoulder. There is no pain and no numbness and only happens when I turn my head to the right or when I have my right arm on the left side of my torso. Do you have any thoughts of what this might be. I'm a musician and I want to take good care of my hands and arms. Well, thanks for that question and thanks for such a lovely description of what it is. You have uh, something going on in your neck, uh, probably osteoarthritis of your neck and you're catching one of the nerve branches there and that's causing that problem. You need a neck x-ray. I would suggest you go to your family medicine doctor, your internist, whoever, and get started on getting this figured out. You may need to see a neurologist as a musician to get this fixed. If you want to know more about that, send me an email, and we will definitely give you some more information. As always, it's been great visiting with you on the original Southern Remedy, where the doctors are always in. We'll be back the same time, same place uh, next week. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Stay.